Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. The COVID-19 pandemic has completely shifted our understanding of ourselves and the interconnected reality we live in. This global wake-up call has created a unifying pathway to embody wholeness, expand unity awareness, and generate large impact sustained change. We have a unique opportunity to fundamentally transform all of our outdated and dysfunctional social systems with a deeper understanding of wholeness. Upgrading to a whole worldview provides an inclusive and practical approach to collectively generate solutions to the current complex challenges in the world. It empowers us with agency and the ability to respond at personal and collective levels to evolve how organizations work, how we address global problems, and communicate and cooperate across diverse cultures. So what we know is our emergent response to myriad growing challenges must align with the ancient wisdom and new science of unitive wholeness using nature's design and the principles of life for the good of the whole. Intrigued, we are going to talk about this, but first I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Dr. Jude Curavan is a cosmologist, planetary healer, futurist, and author. She was previously one of the most senior businesswomen in the UK as CFO and executive board member of two major international companies. She has a master's degree in physics from Oxford University, specializing in quantum physics and cosmology, and a doctorate in archaeology from the University of Reading, researching ancient cosmologies. She has traveled to nearly 80 countries, worked with wisdom keepers from many traditions, and been a lifelong researcher into the scientific and experiential understanding of the nature of reality. The author of six books, the latest being The Cosmic Hologram, In Formation at the Center of Creation, and winner of a 2017 Silver Nautilus Book Award in the category of Science and Cosmology. She's a member of the Evolutionary Leaders Circle and lives in Wiltshire, England, and one of my favorite guests of all time. So I'm really happy to welcome you back, Jude. Welcome, welcome. Hi, Julie. It's just fantastic to be back. And I can't tell you that it's not only wonderful to be with you, but as we're speaking, I'm looking out on the most beautiful afternoon here in England and just being so grateful for the wholeness that you so beautifully shared with us just now. Mm, Thank you. Well, just as you spoke, the sun is starting to peek out of an overcast day, so overcast, so it's nice. Thank you for pointing that out. I looked out the window, and oh, I'm seeing the sun shining now, because it's it's late morning here 
where I am. Jude, I'm like really happy to talk about wholeness as the medicine of our times. And I'm, I'm like really intrigued to see what might our first traditional question look like if we framed it in that context. So I'm going to ask you, what does all things connected mean to you when we're thinking about these times of this COVID pandemic? Mm. Well, I think you said it so beautifully. Um, The world appears The world seems to be full of separate things, whether it's the leaves on a tree or the planets of a solar system or the galaxies or people, whatever it may be, people, planets, plants, all seem separate. But when as scientists, we really dig down to the most fundamental nature of the world, we actually see it revealed not as separate, but as profoundly interconnected. But more than that, it's not just that there's an interconnection, like the the sort of the, the mycelium nets of, of the roots of trees. It's that literally everything we call reality is ultimately unified. All the diversity, all the wondrous diversity we see in the world are actually diverse expressions of an underlying and all-encompassing unity. And that, I think, really is potentially transformational because it's the basis of all spiritual traditions. But until now, mainstream science has has told us quite the opposite. Mainstream science has, has told us that, indeed, the world is separate. Indeed, the world is solely materialistic. But we now know that's being completely turned on its head and is fundamentally, is fundamentally wrong. Mm. Well, let's begin there. I love that quote that everything is an expression of unity. Thank you. So let's let's talk about this science because we move from Newtonian physics to relativity theory to quantum mechanics. What do we know now? And how can you explain this to the lay person who are, who are listening here and perhaps resonating with this whole worldview? Yes, I get it in my bones, you know, <laughs> but we might not understand the science in our head and our minds, but we get it. We breathe it. It's like in our heart, in our soul, we get it. What would you say about about this new shift of what we know from science? Well, first of all, I'd like to applaud what you just said and the folks that get it in their bones, in our bones, because experiencing this oneness, which we don't need to understand any science to experience, and to embody the oneness, which we don't need any science to embody, is is really at the most vital, fundamental, um, you know, purpose. Of, of, of this, because we can understand it, but unless we then experience anybody, it's it's pointless. It's just an academic exercise. Yeah. But I think it is helpful, and it's incredibly helpful that we do have the evidence that actually supports that experiential knowing, you know, that gut knowing. Um, and really, to just go back to what you were saying, up till the early 20th centuries, the science such as it was, and there'd been some progress over the previous few hundred years, was a very mechanistic universe, almost like a rather complicated clock, you know, lots of gears meshing on each other, everything to some degree connected, but very mechanistic. And then 
early 20th century and more discoveries were showing that that was um, that was insufficient. It was helpful. It was a reasonable way of describing things at the everyday level of experience existence. But when we dug deeper, we realized that what that seemed to be was not the deeper reality. So quantum physics um, describes energy and energy and matter because they're equivalent. And relativity theory describes space and time. And they're both incredible. And they've both been um, experimented and experimented and experimented <laughs> on. And they always come through, you know, with shining colors. But two things, first of all, of themselves, they don't agree with each other. So the world of the very small, the quantum, doesn't theoretically have the same framework or in agreement to the world of the larger of space and time and relativity. And that's always been a major issue for science over the last no, nearly a century now. But the biggest issue, the biggest issue is the elephant in the room because neither of them address the nature of consciousness or mind. So not, neither of them really have much to say. They have a tiny bit to say, but not enough to say about mind and consciousness. So on that basis, mainstream science has been still putting forward the concept that, first of all, our universe has evolved from last 13.8 billion years from its beginning Um into greater levels of complexity. And so eventually, after a lot of random mutations and random this and random that and accidental this and accidental that, um, somehow mind arose from our brains and consciousness. The issue is that no one has been able to explain how that happens. And so the question of how does something as immaterial as mind arise from something as material as a brain has been called the hard problem. And it's actually not hard at all. It's just it's the wrong question. Because now what we're realizing is we have to go to a deeper level than energy and matter and space and time and see those as themselves emerging. So the appearance of our universe emerging from deeper levels of cosmic intelligence and mind and consciousness. So instead of mind and consciousness being something that we have, the latest understanding and the latest evidence is showing that Mind and consciousness aren't something we have. They're literally what we and the whole world are. And what we call our universe essentially is information, not random data, but meaningful, purposeful, patterned, dynamic, evolutionary information. And everything in it and it as itself and entirety exists and evolves as a unified entity, literally a thought form in the mind of the cosmos. Pause. Wonderful. Gorgeous. I like breathe that in like, oh my gosh. I love 
I love to hear you speak about this. And, and I know you also, you know, you wrote the cosmic hologram. So you talk about information at the center of the universe and you bring that into that holographic nature of the cosmos mm. of, so, you know, we are, being informed and we are informing we are consciousness i love that can you demonstrate how these two concepts work together how how is the universe informed and then holographically manifested what does that what does that look like well as a as a fit well as a cosmologist who's also um a lifelong researcher into consciousness and the nature of reality and being it's the coolest thing julie it is so simple and so cool it is absolutely exquisite think of um think of us having a, a thought a, a human being having a thought yeah Mm-hmm. Whenever we see, uh, say, a graphic novel, we see what we see as thought bubbles. So you see the person, you see this little bubble of a thought coming out with the mm-hmm. words, uh, my name is Julie, yeah, or what am I going to have for dinner, or I wish I didn't eat that last chocolate biscuit, or whatever it is, that's a thought, yeah? And those thoughts are expressed in a language, And for us, that language is English. And for the English language, it has 26 letters. Now, those letters of themselves are meaningless, A, B, C, D, E. But when they're pulled together in words, they have meaning. My name is Julie. What am I going to have for supper? I wish I hadn't eaten that last chocolate biscuit. Yeah. The universe is far cleverer than us because the universe creates and co-creates its reality and its great thought from a universal alphabet comprising just two letters, ones and zeros. So just as in all our technologies, we can break down images, sounds, names into the ones and zeros of code, and then we can recreate them into images and, and sounds and words yeah our universe though does it in a slightly different way our universe takes the cos the, the consciousness of the cosmos the mind of the cosmos and creates its universal reality in terms of a stream of thought and existence that is made up of ones and zeros, but put together in meaningful ways. So for example, the laws of physics are ones and zeros put together in the laws of physics, whether it's the the, the gravitation or whether it's forces or the relationships between energy and matter. The very nature of energy and matter is fundamentally in formation, expressed as atoms and molecules. And the very nature of space-time is in formation, expressed in a complementary way, which is why we have the two sort of fundamental attributes of reality. But as a hologram, think of that thought bubble from a, a human thought and think of our universe as a cosmic bubble where the surface of that bubble is where all that information is held. And of course, as the bubble grows bigger, 
more and more and more information can be held on its surface. So what then that happens is that the cosmic mind, the creator, if you like, God, um, actually then projects all that information as the three-dimensional appearance of what we call reality. And that's what a hologram does. A hologram takes information held on a two-dimensional surface and projects it as the appearance of three-dimensional reality. Our universe does it in a, an incredibly and much more clever way. So, you know, our holograms are like, you know, kids' toys, whereas the creation of our universe is the masterclass of, of, um, of, of holographic reality. It doesn't mean reality is any less real. It just means that its appearance arises from a much more profound and fundamentally unified underlying unity and underlying reality. Mm. This is exciting. Okay, so I want to tie this into two separate things. First, how does my thought, I wish I wouldn't have had that chocolate biscuit, then get projected out with my experience of not wishing, I mean, wishing I wouldn't have and feeling <laughs> that. So I'd love to explain that because it's, it's kind of like the, the new age conversation of manifesting. And then let's move into how this information on that cosmic bubble is projected out during this time of the pandemic. I think that would be exciting. That would be lovely. That would be lovely. Well, it basically comes back to everything we call reality is in formation and very, very clearly in hyphen formation, which says that it's not random, it's not accidental, it's meaningful. And the universe exists and evolves as a unified entity from its very first moment, as simple as it could be, but no simpler. So our universe doesn't just exist and evolve as a unified entity. It was set up so exquisitely ordered and fine-tuned from the very first moment, not of the Big Bang, because it wasn't big and it wasn't a bang. So I refer to it <laughs> as the first moment of a big breath, which really goes back to ancient wisdom and the idea of our universe being the out-breath of Brahma, the out-breath of, of the cosmic creator. So our universe exists and evolves in that way, but it is so incredibly exquisitely set up that it has an evolutionary impulse to evolve from simplicity to complexity. So it literally exists to evolve. Mm. So we are 13.8 billion years after that first moment of space time. We're having a conversation and everyone listening with us and everyone are unique microcosmic co-creators of this universal impulse to evolve. So all the time, whether we know it or not, we are receiving and transmitting. We are transceivers of information. And our thoughts, our emotions influence our realities, how we perceive realities. So if we are really traumatized 
and live in a, a state of so chronic fear or negative emotions, then that will influence and feedback our experiences. So there's a level of universal objectivity. Our planet, our beloved Mother Earth, was brought into being four and a half billion years ago. You know, grass is green. Um, <laughs> the sun is 93 million miles away. You know, my emotions aren't going to change those things. But what my thoughts and my emotions will do, they will color. They will color my experience and they will certainly influence my perception of realities. You know, it's rather like that situation of, you know, you, you, you see a glass half full. If you're optimistic, there are so many social studies that show you are genuinely a happier person. You experience life in that more optimistic way. You, you, you experience a world of, of possibilities. Whereas if you're a person who is pessimistic for all sorts of reasons, then our bodies literally contract. We limit ourselves. We shut ourselves down. So our thoughts, and, and this is all information because our thoughts and our emotions are discussing um, at, all the time and so experience those realities. Mm. So the role, we have a couple of minutes here before break. So the role literally of... Um, What's happening on the planet right now, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of like as we're co-creating our experience moving through this. And in the second half of the show, we're going to talk more about literally what we can do with wholeness as as medicine for our times. But right now, as you're explaining this, the thought bubble and the information on on that that's being projected back, what would you say about all the fear, all the, um, perhaps it's creating a lot of chaos. And then there are those, Jude, and I, I know you know others like I, who are in this place of, wow, isn't this a beautiful evolution, mm. bringing us into uh, a greater opportunity for healing? Like, so there's, there's all of this happening in this reality right now mm. we're seeing all of that can you can you go into that just a bit more i'd love to and there's so much for us to explore after the break so i'll just say one very brief thing now rather than a crisis i'm describing this as a metamorphosis mm. and i feel on that point for just perhaps to allow everyone to take a breath and a pause and then we'll come back after the break would that work yeah, that is so beautiful. This is a metamorphosis, and um, we we can definitely dig into that. I'm just going to read this quote because you just said it in different words, but from your book that I love. So I just want to leave this with the listeners before we go to break. You say you say we're each individuated microcosms of the holographic intelligence of the universe, and ultimately of the infinite and eternal mind of the cosmos. Mm, love that. Thanks, Jude. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, so much more with Jude Curavan and wholeness as the medicine of our times. We'll be right back. All right. I know this isn't any fun to talk about, but we should. 
So, who's going to do what? Flashlights? Nowhere to be found. Where to be found? Batteries? Dead. Great. Emergency supply kits? Not packed. No. What about blankets? We have an old towel. Good enough. Cell phones? May not work. Uh, emergency water? Not a drop. And what about food? Nope. Perfect. We all know where we're meeting if we're separated, yeah? The library! Aunt Joan's house. The bus stop. Great. And I'll be waiting here wondering where you all are. Sounds like we don't have a plan. Who's up for mini golf? Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov kids for tips and information. A public service announcement brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Me, a cat moving in with a new human. It took a little getting used to. She has these weird games she likes to play, like this giant feather. She sticks it in my face. I swat it away. She sticks it in my face. I swat it away. It's almost like she thinks I enjoy it. But seeing how much fun she gets out of it, well, I guess it makes it all worth it. Humans. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouth full, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. This is a test to find out if you know it all when it comes to children. Name one of the leading killers of U.S. children age 1 to 13. What's the best way to protect children in a car crash? At what age and size should a child start using a booster seat? Don't assume you know it all when it comes to car seats for your child. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat and know for sure. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Now back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. And I invite you to be a more conscious, courageous, and compassionate co-creator of the beautiful, healthy world we depend on. Come work with me. There's lots of ways you can do that. You can check out those opportunities at juliecrawl.com and goodofthewhole.org. And you can find Miss Dr. Jude Curavan. <laughs> I wanted to say Miss Lovely here. Um, at judecuravan.com and whole world hyphen view dot 
org. Is that correct, Jude? It is, Julie. Thank you. Okay. Whole world hyphen view.org and Jude Curavan.com. And pick up this book, The Cosmic Hologram. You're going to love it. And then when the next one comes out, which you're writing right now, I can't wait to pick it up and bring it to our listeners as well, because I know it's going to be a really important piece of work in this conversation. So, Jude, you, you mentioned the um, metamorphosis Mm. right before break. And I think I, I have a quote from you about wholeness, but before we dig into that piece, um, as far as healing and health, I'd love to hear you just expand on the idea that we are in a metamorphosis. We are in this cosmic metamorphosis right mm. now. And, and we have to trust that that impulse of creation is in all of this. So how do we how do we expand on that? <laughs> it's a big question, but it's a vital question, it seems to me, because um, it seems to me we're struggling with two diseases at the moment. The first is the pandemic, and it may be or not that a, va- a vaccine might be discovered. Everybody's trying very hard to create a vaccine that will help cure uh, COVID-19. But the other disease we're struggling with is a disease of our worldview, our fragmented perception of the nature of reality itself. So, you know, even if the COVID-19 disease is cured, unless we heal our diseased worldview, it seems to me that we will continue to behave in ways that will experience other pandemics conflicts and the continuation of unsustainable behaviors and unsustainable consequences of those behaviors. So for me, a vaccine might cure the COVID-19 disease, but the only way to heal our collective disease is to heal our perception of the nature of reality itself. And that is all about wholeness and not just experience, sorry, not just understanding it, but as you say, Julie, experiencing it and embodying it. And we've got the evidence that supports us. So it's not a vaccine, but what we do have is we have the equivalent. We have the, the, the this new science of love, this, this literal science of interconnectedness, of unity, this whole world view that essentially is the equivalent of a vaccine for our collective dis-ease of misunderstanding the nature of reality itself. Mm, Equivalent of a vaccine. I love that. So I reviewed the Cosmic Hologram prepping for this show because I remember there's so many jewels and gems in there and I looked at all my highlighted spots and and then I found this that I hadn't highlighted for another show that you and I did but it's perfect as we're talking about this diseased worldview and really this this new science that's equivalent to a vaccine you wrote when though We're positively in tune with our surroundings and circumstances, our benevolent feelings and sense of greater connection. Look, here, let me pause. I just read that wrong. We're positively in tune with our surroundings and circumstances, 
Our benevolent feelings and sense of greater connection are also embodied in better physical health. Mm-hmm. As our awareness expands, we become ever more consciously connected and progressively resonate with the wholeness of the cosmos. There's your vaccine, dude. There's the vaccine. And, you know, the book is all about the evidence for that. So it's not a, it's not a wishful thinking. It literally is. That is the foundational nature of reality. And, you know, the better we, the more healthy we are in not just physically, but in our emotions and our thoughts, the, the better, our, the stronger our immune system is. When we're under stress, our immune system is compromised. So when we're in fear, our immune system is compromised. So any infection has a has a stronger chance of of you know uh, causing us to to have a disease. But you know the other thing that that I'm like you feeling very powerfully is that the basically the virus is an evolutionary agent and writing my new book called Gaia Her Story I've gone right back not just to the beginning of Mother Earth but to her ancestors and her heritage which literally goes back to the beginning of the universe but from the very beginning of biological life on Earth viruses were perhaps the first life forms And what we know, and this evidence is coming forward only in the last few years, they play an extraordinary role in evolution itself. So, you know, in stopping us in our tracks, the only thing, this tiny, tiny, tiny little virus that's so small we have to look, we can only see it through the most powerful of microscopes, actually itself is able to evolve a million times faster than we are. It has an intelligence. It both competes and cooperates for its goals. And what it's doing, I think, for us is helping to wake us up. It's actually helping if we can see it in this metamorphosis way, an agent of evolution, of conscious evolution for us, helping us remember that oneness and healing our collective dis-ease. Mm. So, oh, thank you. Oh, this is so good. So a key imperative here is that we learn how to welcome this virus, not that we're welcoming death and doom and all, but really looking at this as putting it in that worldview of wholeness, looking at it as part of ourselves and this consciousness, it's helping us. How do we befriend that and not fear the death of, mm-hmm. of so many? You know, it's, it's really a death. What's happened is with a fear of death and it's overwhelmed our healthcare system. I think that's the greatest fear is it's overwhelmed our healthcare system. Um, and yet, yeah, I'm, I heard you pause. I'm going to let you jump in. Thank you. I, yeah, I mean, wasn't it Roosevelt, one of, your, one of your greatest presidents, who I think in the Second World War said, we've nothing to fear but fear itself. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, there is a very sensible fear where you know, none of us wants to get ill. Um, and it is a very, very traumatizing disease. And I'm certainly not, you know, denying or, or it's tragic. It's absolutely tragic that everyone who suffers from this disease, you know, has family, has loved ones. And those losses are horrible and heartrending. But to see the virus as an enemy really for me is is almost the worst thing we can do. It's rather like the war on this, the war on that, the war on everything. The war on really perpetuates the 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 perception of separation. You know, we, we, we make war on our enemies, not realizing that they could be our friends. Mm. You know, we, we and I mean we make war on on Mother Earth. Our pollution, our destruction, our environmental degradation, our, you know, taking all of the 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 the, the, the places and and humanizing them to the extent that you know biodiversity is going through a sixth mass extinction at the moment. We're on the, you know, the, we're only in the foothills of some major, major existential threats, and those existential threats are not going to go away if and when there is a cure for this particular pandemic, they're going to still be there. But what this pandemic is offering us, I think, is this opportunity to heal our perception into wholeness. And as our beliefs drive our behaviours, when we come from that place of unity in diversity, wholeness, we can come together, we can link up and lift up. Our beliefs drive our behaviours. So from that perspective of, of wholeness, conflict and war, the war on whoever, the war on the virus, the most that's the most natural outcome of our mindset as it has been fragmented. And, you know, the, the, the buying into the illusion of separation. If we can find that way, and, and I know that many of those sharing this time with us will experience wholeness, will embody it in their lives. But coming from that place, then the most natural outcome of that perception is peace. So instead of create, you know, instead of of uh, continuing to play out injustices and inequalities and conflicts, we can actually come together. We can link up and lift up, not just to to, to co-create a world that is far more peaceful, but what we are is a very clever species. I believe, truly believe in my heart that unless we become, we begin to wake up and grow up and become a wise species, we will not survive, let alone thrive and flourish through this time of great change, great transformation, and yes, great possibility. Yeah. Okay, so this, thank you, this is beautiful. When I think of this unitive wholeness, we're talking about the in the same impulse of evolution, evolution that's guiding the stars and the planets mm -hmm. is guiding the cells of my body. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to turn to the question, how, how can we um, empower our listeners to allow 
that impulse of evolution to lead this change. It's like wholeness has to be a part of every solution from a personal level to this to cultural to planetary. It's like these solutions must align now yes. with wholeness. We must redesign our world with the principles aligned with nature and whole systems health and healing, but it has to completely align with this understanding of our whole worldview, our wholeness now. And le- allowing that, allowing that impulse to change is a, a different kind of practice. We're listening and, and allowing that impulse of evolution to guide these solutions rather than us thinking what we think we know and creating from what we have in the past, right? So I interrupted you. I'm sorry, but it's like, this is an important message. It's really important. <laughs> This so is, and it it goes back to just how amazingly wise the universe is. Just to use the metaphor um, of the of the Tao and the Tao Te Ching, which is ancient Chinese wisdom, which says, "In the beginning there is the one. Not there was the one. There is the one. The one becomes two. The two becomes three, and from the three, ten thousand things are born." So what that's saying is there is always unity and wholeness, but to exist and evolve that wholeness, that unity differentiates itself into the appearance of two-ness. We could say ones and zeros. We could say um, uh, yin and yang. We could say light and shadow. We could say masculine and feminine. So in our human stories, each of us has that sort of those masculine and feminine attributes, whether we're born as men or women or whatever, however we we self-identify. And those those complement each other. Those interact. You know, they they're talked about um, as the Ida and the Pingala in ancient Indian tradition, the meridians of our consciousness energy field, and they weave up the chakras. But they're complementary. The thing in our societies, we've been very masculine in our societies. We've um, imposed. We've conflicted. We've been very, ma- we've been very masculine and and and, and strong. And, and the masculine of itself, there is not a judgment. But when it's out of balance with the feminine, it does become impositional. It does become conflictual. So now it seems to me as part of this healing opportunity and for conscious evolution, is to rebalance our expressions. Not, you know, both as male and female gender wise, but the masculine attributes with the feminine attributes and the feminine attributes include attunement, alignment, responding to going with inclusivity, all the things that you you mentioned. So during this time, if we can bring the best of the masculine with the more emergent and empowerment of these feminine attributes rather than try to fight our way over the pandemic and whatever other challenges are there and coming, we can actually integrate, literally become greater than the sum of our parts by integrating the best of the masculine and these amazingly, um, this emergent feminine 
attributes that are more receptive and responsive and inclusive. And between the two, a third emerges. And in ancient tradition and in a modern metaphor, that would be the child. That would be the wondrous, creative, innovative, curious, adventurous child. And it seems to me that that this is the potential metamorphosis of these times and our opportunity to consciously evolve. Mm, so beautiful really bringing in the masculine and feminine into the conversation is really important too. Thanks for dropping this in. And as I'm thinking of, of the Tao and, and that story of the three, it's like um, not only, I mean, that is the story of wholeness, right? The masculine yeah. and the, that's the story of wholeness and, story and being wholeness. a whole being. Yeah. So, wow. Hmm. <laughs> and that, you know, that is then for me, that integration, and it's very much an, an inner journey, but it's also express outwardly. It, you know, when we, when we do bring the masculine, the feminine, the attributes within ourselves into that balance, there are certain circumstances where we can behave with those masculine attributes, but also we can also have that intuitive, that almost that, again, going back to that good knowing, that experiential knowing of how to balance them. Um, and, you know, if we have time, I'd love to talk a little bit and share a little bit about how incredible viruses are and how throughout the whole story of the, li uh, the story of biological life on Earth, they have been evolutionary agents. And even now, um, when a baby is in the womb, it's viruses that guide the, the, the formation of, the, of the, the form of the baby. Literally, they are the, they are the informers. They mm. are the teachers, you know, of, 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 of how a, a fetus develops in the womb. And they make up, you know, we think of ourselves as human beings, but out of 100 trillion cells, probably less than half are actually human more than half are, are bacteria and fungi and viruses. We're a community. And perhaps seeing ourselves as a microcosmic community of wholeness helps us to then take that breath out and the experiencing of our entire universe uh, as, as that wholeness and ourselves as its microcosmic expressions and conscious evolutionary co-partners. Jude, with this conscious evolution, what you're bringing to the conversation is so important with the viruses. I'd love to hear you, you speak more on it. When you're thinking about that viruses are literally the informing agents of a brand new fetus in uterite, that's an incredible way of looking at life that, you know, we often say, well, um, you know, life is breathing me, life is beating my heart, life is healing my bones, you know, this, this, this vast force of life is, is doing this thing. And employing viruses and bacteria and fungi and, and other external things that we see separate from ourselves, which aren't in 
that role. Can, I love this. I would love to hear you speak more about the viruses as evolutionary drivers over time, what we've seen. I'd love to. I mean, I, I'm in awe, actually, at their innate intelligence, this tiny speck this tiny speck that, you know, some biologists until very recently didn't even consider to be a life form. It's too simple. But the point is viruses are mutate hundreds of thousands of times faster, millions of times faster than the more complex life forms. And yet their intelligence, their communality, their ability to work together, they can go into a host body. They can't exist They've, they've almost chosen through evolutionary processes not to have an independent existence. It's, it's their, their role modeling wholeness because they can't exist outside of a host body. Mm-hmm. But within a host body, they, they, they sometimes compete with, the, with others, other viruses and, and other forms, but often they'll cooperate there will be a symbiosis. It's that balance within them that enables them to be incredibly flexible and, and you know, intelligently evolve themselves. But in doing so, they also help their hosts to evolve. So we're looking now at, at, at evidence that after mass extinctions, of which there have been, we think, five mass extinction events in the story of, of Mother Earth until now, which potentially could be a, a sixth unless we wake up and grow up and sort ourselves out. It's until then, evolution tends to go in fairly slow rate But after a mass extinction where a lot of species have been wiped out, there's this incredible spurt of new species and not just different, novel, diverse species, but more complex species. So after the last mass extinction, when the dinosaurs were wiped out, mammals, tiny little shrew-like mammals, were our ancestors. And, and over that last 66 million years have come forward to all of the uh, mammalian species that we know. But the evidence is very strongly suggesting that it was viruses that were the informers of that massive spurt of, of novel speciation and greater complexity. And it's very interesting because the COVID-19 is described as a novel virus. It's also part of a, a, a group of viruses called corona viruses, named after their appearance of a crown. So various writers and thinkers have talked about the, the symbolism of, of all of this. But one of the, 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 the beaut- most beautiful that I love is by a friend of mine, um, Lynn Cedar Roberts, who talked about giving birth. And she said, you know, there comes a process in giving birth when the baby is actually beginning to go into the birth canal. And when it does that, it's called crowning. And when the crown of the baby appears in that birthing process, there's no going back. That baby, one way or another, is going to be born. Mm. So is the coronavirus, is the crown virus telling us something about us birthing 
you know, a, a new version, you know, our, our conscious evolution, the baby of our next step of our conscious evolution. Mm. Beautiful metaphors. Wow. And powerful. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I'm just um, literally thinking about the shift in consciousness of us to just welcome the virus as that informant here to literally help with conscious evolution on the planet to wake us up. I, I agree. I, the thing that I come back to is the idea of metamorphosis rather than crisis, because in a metamorphosis, first of all, I wrote a little piece a little while ago called Metamorphosis 2020. And I woke up one morning with the words, a caterpillar exists to eat. And it goes on to eat as much as it possibly can until there's nothing left in its environment to eat. And then evolution guides it to go somewhere quiet, under a leaf or somewhere similar, and it actually becomes a chrysalis. And in that chrysalis, the caterpillar start that the whole caterpillar's body starts to break down. And as it breaks down, something called imaginal cells start to form a new body, the body of a butterfly to come. And as this caterpillar breaks down, the butterfly starts to form and eventually um, emerges as a butterfly out of the chrysalis. And whereas a caterpillar exists to eat, a butterfly exists to pollinate. We've been a caterpillar species. Perhaps we're evolving through this metamorphosis into a butterfly species. And we're now finding also that it looks as though viruses within that process of metamorphosis, it may be that viruses have a role to trigger the breakdown of the old caterpillar and the breakthrough of the emerging butterfly. Mm. Jude, we only have a few minutes left, but I really would love to put spring a question on you from that story. If humanity is in this metamorphosis and we have consumed, 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 what does our new role, perhaps as a pollinator, look like? Well, a pollinator, a butterfly, sips the sweetness of flowers. And by doing so, it literally fertilizes life. That mm. is my hope for us because we we are microcosmic co-creators, spirits, divine spirits having this human experience on this most beautiful of planets. Let's become stewards and custodians and pollinators for each other and for Gaia and for all her children. Let us sip the sweetness of life, and in doing so, let us fertilize life. Beautiful. I'm glad I asked that question. Thank you so much, Jude, and thank you for joining us for this conversation today. I really appreciate all your wisdom, and again, I just want to remind people you can find Jude at judecuravan.com com or wholeworld-view.org and pick up Cosmic Hologram and wait for 
Gaia, her story. When's it coming out, Jude? Uh, when she writes, when she's finished writing me, I can probably answer that question. <laughs> she's writing me as we speak. Awesome. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Jude. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone. Yes. And I just want to leave you with a reminder of what Jude's been saying today. Our universe is composed not from the all-pervasive presence of merely arbitrarily accumulated data and accidental processes, but ordered, patterned, relational, meaningful, and intelligible in formation, exquisitely balanced, incredibly co-creative, staggeringly powerful, and yet fundamentally simple. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Remember, together, we're creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.